As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize it's nothing left. Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. This is Enter VR, the podcast on all things virtual reality, and I'm Chris Miranda, your host. Today I'm speaking with Jake Lee. Hi. Um, Jake is the CEO of Future Colossal, um, and he's one of the creators of Shadows of Isolation. Jake, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited because Shadows of Isolation is one of the most insane experiences I've yet to try. Um, and I, I mean insane in a good way. Like I, every turn that you put me, you guys put me through, I was not expecting. Um, and I, let, just to start it off, you know, what is Shadow of, Shadows of Isolation? Um, well, it's, it's actually a really kind of a, a large piece that we've been working on for a long time. And uh, we've been going to be evolving it through different technologies until uh, DK2 came out. And, and what we've created now is kind of a trailer for a much larger piece. But it's a lucid dream-like journey through um, multiple worlds and experiences. So everything kind of transforms in very seemingly natural ways when you're, when you're experiencing it. But then uh, when you stop and think about how you got there, you start to realize kind of how outlandish the whole experience was. Yeah. What inspired the experience in the first place? What, um, you know, what, where did the origins of this seed of the seed that started it come from? Uh, well, so I, um, I guess a little bit of my background, I used to be an installation artist and I was, uh, building these very large scale sound installations primarily, but kind of these architectural abstractions mm -hmm. and they were expensive to do because you had to actually build them out and, and build all the electronics for them and everything. And then you installed them in a gallery and then um, showed it for about a month or so. And then people would uh, experience it, but they happened to be in that city. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you take it, take it apart and kind of throw it away and stick the files in your, your database and, and, uh, and it's kind of gone. It's a really sad experience. And, and I was basically showing art to people that, that already were exposing themselves to art. So, um, virtual reality became this, this opportunity to, to create work that could live on and that didn't need to have a, a gallery a museum platform that we could, could create work and then freely distribute online to anybody that had it and then there's no limitations so we got to you know really play god and break the laws of physics and and break you know break all these these kind of rules that we take for granted and that we have to work with work within when we're uh, you know building uh real environments so so this became a, a way for us to to work on all of those ideas and it first started out in a a, a screen-based experience before viable VR was out there, hmm. accessible VR. But uh, I could immerse myself in it, and it was really amazing. But anyone else that saw it, saw it as a screen and saw it as the archetypical video game and just wanted to have goals and missions and couldn't understand why they were just exploring. Hmm. And VR then came in and allowed us to to do this. When people step into VR, they're, they're just excited to experience. And so... 
that created a brand new canvas for us, and, and we were able to start porting all of these other ideas we're working on into into what is now uh, Shadows of Isolation. Wow, that's uh, wow! What, what an interesting story. What is uh, what is your first? Uh, what was your first interaction with virtual reality? Virtual reality, like, um, and and what was, you know, what is the thing that you know pushed you over the edge to continue creating things with the with the technology? Well, my first interaction with virtual reality was with the the DK one, the Oculus DK one, hmm. and I was uh, I've been following. Oculus since uh, Carmack kind of reviewed it at E3 in, in 2012, and when it came uh, on Kickstarter, I was one of the first hundred backers for it. I was just diehard, ready for it, awesome. and uh, and I waited months and months, and I, I ended up getting the flu like the day that it showed up. Mm. But I was dying to use it, so I stick on stick on VR, and and I also happened to uh, get horrible VR sickness, so. With that and the flu, it was probably one of the worst experiences. But I still couldn't pull myself out of it. So I'd I'd go into VR for like five minutes and then lay on the couch for another uh, two hours until I could get up and go into VR again for another five minutes. Wow. And so I, I just fell in love at that moment. One of the, actually one of the most beautiful moments for me there was I have a dog and I go take my dog out for a walk later in the night after I'd been doing VR nonstop. And I'm just walking around outside, and I'm just looking around at, at the city, and I'm like, wow, it's so high resolution, and it's so beautiful, and look at all the colors, and you kind of, it made me change how I how I viewed the actual world, and so that's when I started really understanding the power of VR. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, we take for granted the resolution of our organics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's crazy. Um, and yeah, I can, I can relate with you a little bit in, in terms of, you know, having DK1 and, you know, being so excited for it and then getting uh, simulation sickness and being out, but you don't want to, but you want to continue. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it's, it was a, uh, an exercise in, um, masochistic tendencies for yeah. me. <laughs> um, so, so that was actually something that yeah. we worked on a lot with, with this project because we were developing it. Um, we, we try to always develop kind of for where the technology is going rather than where it is. Hmm. And so we uh, had assumed that positional tracking was going to come out. And so we started uh, using the uh, Razor Hydra to create positional tracking for the DK1. Hmm. And we started developing this uh, new tracking system in order to, or kind of control scheme, in order to reduce motion sickness. And so that's where you're sitting on the stool and you're um, rotating in, in 360 to, to choose which direction you want to move in. And then you're just leaning forward or, or backwards in order to move yourself forward or backwards. And the idea behind that was that um, if our, our center of gravity is forward for our bodies, it, it, our bodies, it would make sense to them that you're going to kind of fall forward. Mm -hmm. And so then in the virtual world, when you're moving forward, those two um, two senses, your mind and your body, are, are aligned. And uh, it greatly reduced the motion sickness. And then once the DK2 came out, they addressed a lot of the motion sickness issues as well. Uh, and then in the, uh, the combination of the two works out really well. So we've shown, shown this to thousands of people and only a handful have had any uh, motion sickness, and you know, one of them was pregnant, so that was to be expected. Oh wow! Oh, but that's uh, positional tracking is is um, so necessary. Uh, you you really can't have an HMD without. Um, yeah. With, it's yeah. Well, you can't really. I don't. I, I don't even think you could have. I mean, well, people like John Carmack will say it's it's a continuum. Um, 
when he describes VR photos, like, you know, 360 photos and 360 videos, you know, th there's an argument here, uh, you know, that's being had between VR purists who think that it's, you know, if, if it's not a, in, it's an in-engine in, in, in sort of experience where you're fully moving around in the world, then it's not VR. Um, but I think, but, but I think just like Carmack thinks, I think it's a continuum. And you're right, um, I, I, yeah, having positional tracking helps so much. Um, but I want to talk and ask you about the story behind Shadows of Isolation, because the whole experience just intrigued me. Like, why am I here? What's happening? Why am I going from place to place? Um, you know, can you, can you talk to me about, about what's, what's the context to, to why I'm taking these interdimensional quantum leaps through time and space? Yeah, the, um, I mean, when the project started off, it was really just this this kind of network of these miniature installations, mm -hmm. uh, and so it was kind of based off of my previous work of, of doing uh, actual physical installations, and so it was this idea of that you could have these networks of, of these installations, and you could kind of traverse them and explore them as as you want, um, and we've we uh, we got commissioned for the Mod Festival, which is an art and, and uh, technology festival in Mexico. And so we needed to kind of create a way that we could have a linear experience so that people could funnel through it uh, relatively fast. And so that's when we started finding ways to piece together these, these different narratives. But that became a, it actually grew to become a much bigger part of, of the project than we ever kind of intended originally. And, and Actually, the part that I'm most excited about is this idea of being able to kind of use misdirection to some degree, or, or kind of um, break, break people's expectations and, and have them transform into these different environments in this very dreamlike manner. I, I like to compare it to a Murakami novel in which uh, he he creates these hyper realistic scenarios when you're when you're reading mm -hmm. and everything seems completely plausible. But then uh, once you, you put down the book for a minute, uh, you start to realize how, how impossible everything was and the, that, that it was just such a fantastical world. And so I like this idea of, of being able to do that within, within uh, VR. And, yeah. and so it's um, <clears throat> the other aspect of it was that I, th I think with every new uh, medium, that, that we get, we, we kind of explore it by first trying to depict the actual world around us mm -hmm. in as natural a way as possible. But at the same time, that's, that's not terribly exciting for, at least for me to be working on. Yeah. So I, I wanted something to base it off of. And we ended up using the dreamscape as a, as essentially as our still life. So we're, there's this already kind of fantastical language uh, that we all have, that we, we experience every night we're all aware of and, and um, there's this sort of structure, even though it's a very loose or malleable structure, there's a structure that we can all identify with. And so we were trying to utilize that within this experience. Mm. And then the narrative itself, um, I, I personally am, um, I guess I don't think in a, in a narrative manner necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think more in an experiential manner. And so that's what's really empowering about the, the VR is that it allows me to work with experience as a language rather than working with narrative or kind of storyline as, as a language. 
But in doing so, you're building these constructs for other people to create their own narratives, though. So, I mean, I think there's really easy, like, biblical ties that you can make with with much of it. There's there's definitely influences with um, global warming, uh, and then and then the piece uh, what you, about half of the piece is kind of this this linear um, storyline, and then the other half of the piece is this. Uh, kind of what we are calling a supercut experience, where we're taking you through rapidly through all these different environments, and so the the way the piece would evolve out further would be that we would combine the two, and so you're um, we're, we're kind of continuing on in that initial section, and then you're you're slowly traversing through these these other environments in a very seamless manner. Wow. That's yeah, it's really cool. You um, you talked about Murakami. I've never heard of this. Is this an author? Or is a writer? Yeah, he's a, a Japanese American author. Uh, lives in New York City, but uh, writes fantastical real, realism novels. Um, Neil Gaiman would be another great example okay. of, of a uh, author like that. Okay. So uh, cool. he's best known for maybe uh, Caroline or or. Um, which was made into a Disney film. Oh, see. So, so he, so what you were saying earlier, he, he's able to um, create hyper-realistic scenarios in writing that you are absorbed in, and all of a sudden, I think he drops the M. Night Shyamalan plot twist. Is that his style, sort of, or, or am I missing the... Yeah, it's 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 more of that. Um, he's he's transitioning you through these these narratives in mm-hmm. such a way that. Um, like if you were to read just a paragraph, it would make total sense. And you read the next paragraph and it makes total sense and everything's plausible. But when you put all those paragraphs together into a chapter, you realize how outlandish it is. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think it's the same as like a, a good magician. A good magician is able to take you through a trick and you don't see kind of the, what you would call the magic behind it. And it's all this kind of misdirection. And so I think... Marikami does that in his novels to some degree where he's taking you through at such like a slow, uh, slow pace and he's having you focus on certain things that you don't, you don't consciously, you're not necessarily consciously aware of, of everything that's happening. So one of my favorite books from him is uh, Wind Up Bird Chronicles and it's all, it's essentially about a guy that's sitting at the bottom of an empty well. Mm. Like that's the whole book, but it gets, it gets crazy. I mean, it's, it's like the, the craziest dream you could ever imagine. Wow. So here's the thing. The question that this leads me to is, how do you translate that <clears throat> style of writing or that style of, you know, transporting people um, into VR? How do you? What sorts of things have you discovered in figuring out ways to translate that, you know, style to to virtual reality? Um, well, I guess I'd have to reference another part of my my past. Is mm-hmm. I, I used to be a hypnotist. Oh, cool. Uh, so I've, I've hypnotized hundreds of hundreds of people um and a lot of these same techniques are are used in here so i'm not in this piece we're not hypnotizing you in any way but we're using a lot of the same kind of um practices that we'd use in hypnosis just in how we're kind of directing your attention and your focus other aspects are we wanted to create this world that was totally um free and explorable um and at the same time we wanted to really control what you're seeing. And so this is a technique that, that's really related to hypnosis, which is kind of giving someone the sense of freedom, but also directing them, kind of giving them these hints to move in certain ways. Uh, and so things we're working on now, for instance, are um, 
taking shadows of isolation and, and, and growing it out further. There's, there's aspects where we, um, where we want you to be able to freely explore, but we need you to go in one very particular direction. So the typical way you would build a video game is you build out your environment and you have your character or your user and you stick them inside of that environment. And now they can, um, walk around freely in the world, but they are inside of the world. And so what we're doing is kind of inversing that whole situation. So we've got the user and then we're building the world around them. And by doing that, we're able to rearrange the worlds so that uh, it doesn't matter which direction the user decides to go and explore. We can then just rearrange the world so they end up where we want them to end up eventually anyways. Wow. And so that's how we're able to kind of control these, these pseudo-narratives, these experiences, without feeling, making people feel like they're they're being controlled. Speaking of control, um, and, and this is a question that uh, has arisen um, thanks to something you've just said earlier. Can you, is it possible, do you think, to hypnotize people through virtual reality? Oh, yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, and I, I've done, you know, previous pieces that I was working on in more of an art vein was where uh, I was trying to do virtual reality, but the technology just wasn't there yet. Uh, so in essence, what I was trying to do was using the human brain for, for visual processing. And I would uh, create these very large soundscapes, and then I would induce uh, like a theater full of people into uh, a state of, of, of light hypnosis, almost like a, a deep stage of meditation. So you'd have uh, maybe 100 people in this state. And then I'd project these auditory uh, stimulations onto them, so these, these sonic simulations. And then basically what they would be doing is is reforming their own memories from these stimulations into these new environments uh, that allow them to experience something that they haven't experienced before, but essentially just collaging their memories. And so these same sort of techniques are, are definitely possible within VR. I mean, we, we spend... Uh, I forgot the actual figures now, but we spend about, I think, 60% of our life in a state of hypnosis. So anytime you're just like daydreaming, you're in a state of hypnosis. Hmm. And so inducing that inside of VR could definitely be very powerful. And yeah, the, the, the question is, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how, you know, how do you know whether someone is in a state of hypnosis? It can is it possible to create a demo that prove that says this is a demo that proves that I can hypnotize you? Um, it, you know, is that is that am I am I getting it wrong here? I feel like uh, yeah, I mean that would be possible. Basically, the way hypnosis works is that you need to to wear down one aspect of someone's senses uh -huh. so that they become so focused on that their 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 conscious becomes so focused on that that you then have access to their subconscious. And so an easy way to do that inside of uh, VR, like a, a very simple way to do that would be through kind of pulsing, pulsing lights that are pulsing uh, uh, in different frequencies for both eyes. And then um, simultaneously kind of talking someone down through a uh, uh, induction Whoa. techniques. But there's other ways to do it, which are where I'm more interested in is, is not like a forcing... Uh, hypnosis onto people because mm -hmm. there's there's a, a lot of bad stigma with hypnosis mm -hmm. but um using those techniques in in non-hypnotic ways or maybe just doing it in a very light manner so not directly talking someone down to hypnosis but creating 
opportunities for people to kind of drift off into their own thought, into their own kind of daydreams while they're in the virtual environment. Yeah. And at that point, then you have this, this very heightened sense that the virtual environment will feel even more real. Okay. And that's, uh, that's actually a lot of the stuff that we're playing with in, in the very, very first scene. Wow. As well. Last question on hypnosis. Uh, as you can see, we've gone on a bit of a tangent, but this is how we <laughs> do okay. things. Uh, could, do, do, does VR uh, can VR augment the um, the the level of hypnosis someone is able to achieve? And if that could be the case, um, is there a possibility that VR could be used for mind control, or am I like? Uh, going off way too fast, way too far off in terms of what hypnosis can do? Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about uh, hypnosis and hmm. mind control. So the, the, the main thing to, to consider there is that when you're in, when you're hypnotized, you are in total control. The, the hypnotist is not actually controlling you. They're more of a guide through the experience. And so if, um, uh, if you're a stage hypnosis, for instance, and uh, you bring someone up and you say you're going to turn them into a chicken. Mm -hmm. uh, this is like one of the easiest things to do. And it's actually, it's, as far as my experiments with, with uh, hypnosis, is one of the more boring things you could do. But the crowd likes it. Um, so in that instance, you're telling a person they're going to turn into a chicken. This person is, is hypnotized. They hear that you say you're, you're going to turn into a chicken. And um, they don't have any real moral qualms with acting like a chicken. Uh, and so they're kind of, they're in essence playing along and they're, they're acting like a chicken. They know they're not a chicken, um, but they, uh, but they're not necessarily, they're not faking it necessarily. They're just kind of hypnosis has lowered their inhibitions and they're fine being a chicken. And so um, where hypnosis is more interesting is, is really starting to play with the, with the, limitations and the powers of the brain and so changing people's perception you know i was able to make people uh, open their eyes and look around and see everything in colors that weren't actually there or taste tastes that weren't actually there or hear sounds that weren't actually there and so um those those all become a lot more interesting and inside of vr it could definitely be used to induce and kind of train people on hypnosis mm -hmm. uh as far as mind control goes, basically the way that works is this very long, long-term process where you're you're working to slowly um, lower people's inhibitions, wow. and so you you would have to continually work with them over and over and over, and the person would be somewhat aware of that because because again, when you're hypnotized, you're fully aware of, of being hypnotized, and you're fully aware of you're fully conscious of everything that's happening to you. Wow. So interesting! What a world that I am not aware of in terms of yeah, the. It's um, it, wow! That's that's so interesting. Let's go back to Shadows of Isolation and the work that you're doing. Um, what is the ultimate goal of the of the project? Are you guys trying to you know create something that you can sell uh, sell to consumers later on? Are you you know what's what, what will the finished product look like you know, and things like that? That's something we're trying to figure out now. That's, uh, I mean, I'm not really 
very interested in creating a, a commercial project per se, but this has been something that we've been funding out of our own pocket for, for a long time now. So I am interested in finding some, some funds to help uh, take it further. But the real goal of it would be to create this, this larger network of these, of these different experiences. So right now it's very linear, so breaking that apart. And there's, there's kind of teases to that in the very beginning where you start off in this room and there's a, a, a kind of a cloud ocean wall on one side of the room, and if you walk towards it, it closes itself off to you. And so that's just a, a, a little hint uh, at where this could go that, that in the future your your decisions could lead you in very different paths along this these sort of lucid narratives wow and um, you go ahead and then i like the idea of opening that up further so that other people can contribute within this as well so that it's not just us other people could, could build in their own um micro installations that connect into this or other people could then overlay their own narratives on top of this and and you could choose to follow a narrative line through this these worlds or or even you could choose to kind of meet up somebody meet up with someone in one of these environments like on the small planet you decide to meet up with a friend and hang out on the small planet together for a little bit as you as you have coffee in the morning wow and in, so in terms of length uh, uh, that's where i was trying to figure out you know, based on what you're telling me potentially the shadows isolation experience could last infinitely because people would be just you know adding layers and layers and layers and layers of 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 you know things to experience along the way is that so or what do you think definitely i mean that would be a, a, a dream of it if it if we could do that definitely yeah. one of the challenges there is that um in order to keep people in this sense of with this sense of presence, mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to avoid any loading screens at all. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's a lot going on in a lot of big worlds. Um, so we're we're preloading a lot onto people's uh, into people's RAM and, and GRAM. And so at some point there's going to be that limit. And and what we need to do is find smarter strategies to kind of hide hide where loading happens. And we're already doing kind of loading in, in the background while you're exploring some things. Other things are loading um, but and, and uh, destroying themselves. And so wow. some of that's already in there. But that, that, that will become a big challenge if this grows to a much larger scale. What's the limit? Um, if, you, if you mentioned you're, you're trying to push the limits as to how much you can load, you know, what's the limit right now? Uh, well, I the limit's more on trying to be as consumer friendly as possible, which mm -hmm. is that itself is a hard challenge with VR right now. Uh, the, the graphics cards aren't really designed for, for VR, although that's starting to change. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're, you're kind of having to assume people are, are using lower end to, to mid range uh, gaming rigs, but that's also pretty limiting because there's, there's, you know, a small population that, that has gaming computers. And so I think that's hopefully something that we're going to see changing in the future. Um, just either the, the mobile processing changing or, or um, kind of laptop processing becoming more well-suited for VR. Right now, laptop processing in VR is, is pretty nasty. You can, you can run um, simpler, simpler projects, but if you get into a, a really high-end project, you know, even your high-end gaming laptops start to struggle. Yeah. I and I can speak from experience. Laptop gaming it has a long way to go. Um, yeah, 
so the other thing that I was thinking about, you're, you're, you're planning tentatively, I think, to open this project up for the masses to contribute and add, uh, add to, you know, how do you, have you thought about how you will curate the, 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 the worlds that people will add, or are you just going to free market it all? Like, you know, whatever you want to put in there, you let, you know, let it happen. You know, what do you, what do you think? How, how, how do you think you're going to, um, deal with that? Yeah, I think that's another another big challenge. I mean, I, I, one one of the ways to deal with it is to build out a kit of parts, essentially, so that uh, anyone that wants to be involved in the project uh, gets this small project file. We built this in Unity, so they would get like a, a Unity file that has all the requirements for them, and then has some kind of these these built-in transitions, because mm -hmm. there needs to be a unified language across the whole whole piece or else it's going to end up just being something like a second life which is not not what we want mm -hmm. uh, and then i think we would we'd probably want to curate in aspects so people would kind of give proposals and and um maybe that's a proposal by someone that's that's a game developer and they can work on it or maybe it's it's a really interesting proposal by someone that's an author and and instead we decide to work on that and include that in there in some way Uh, and, and regardless, it might be something that we come in at the end and help kind of fine tune or do final color grading or, you know, make sure that there's um, a consistency across the whole project. But that's a big challenge. Uh, I don't think it's something we'll be tackling anytime too soon. Yeah, no, the, the, um, there, that is a big, that is a bit, bit of a big challenge. Just thinking about the madness that people would come up with, you know, one minute you're, yeah, you're a spoiler alert. You're like in this climate change sort of world that is sinking. And next thing you know, it, you're diving down Satan's anus and you have no idea why, but it's happening. And so that's why I'm like, <laughs> this could be, this could go terribly good. Or pretty yeah. bad. I don't know. I, I'm so, yeah. but it's exciting because I, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> I want to experience all, you know, all of that madness. Um, are you, are you putting, are you drawing limits in terms of what people will be could produce? Are you, are you, are you, are you having talks in terms of like, all right, this is where we draw the line. No porn, um, no uh, blood splattering, sort of stuff. What, what do you think? Um. I don't know how much we'd want to limit it, but I think it would be curated. So we would probably take some some overall control and making sure that there is a, a constant kind of quality control and and that we're not getting too perverse. A little perversion is not bad, but uh, as long as it's perversion for a purpose. Yeah. Um, what is it that fundamentally at your core motivates you to be a part of you know, the, the virtual reality community, but also not just that, a, a creator of things because you're, you're creating things. Um, you know, what is that in deep inside is, is motivating you? Oh, I've, I've always just, uh, been creating things. My, my father's a museum director, uh, a fine art museum director. And so I kind of grew up within the art world, uh, in that field, you move every about two to three years to a new museum. Mm -hmm. And so, I'd moved my entire life and the only constants in my life were, were my family and art. And so that became a, a big form of my own identity. Uh, and if, if I wasn't doing that as part of my job, then I would be doing it as my hobby. And so I'm lucky enough, um, to, to have been able to found future colossal and, and, do them at the same time what is it um do you have a piece of art that has influenced you the most uh that you can think of 
Oh, just a, a particular piece of art? Mm -hmm. It would be really, really hard to say. There's so so many amazing works out there. I'd, I'd um, probably butcher his name, but uh, Oliver Elijah, mm -hmm. and that's definitely not how you pronounce his name. <laughs> uh, but his works are, are really amazing. They, um, they are more along the lines of, of experiential, again, where... It's, he's creating these environments that you get to inhabit, and they're these. Um, it might be as simple as um, essentially like a one pixel long line across a completely dark room that creates a false horizon and, and completely uh, messes with your sense of perception, or or a room that's filled with a fog and you're walking across a bridge, but at some moment within that space that you can. Um, you can no longer sense where the ground is and where the sky is, and and you kind of feel like you're in this infinite moment. Whoa. Um, uh, and and some of these some of these kind of influential moments appear within in this piece. So uh, within Shadows of Isolation, one of these moments is is from a book uh, which I happen I, I can't think of the name of right now. Uh, but uh, it's about this magician that had a Fulbright scholarship to go to uh, Indonesia. And, and he's talking about the uh, magic and uh, tradition, or magic and mysticism. And, and he's, it's his first day there, and he's standing in the middle of this rice paddy that's just freshly planted, so it's just all water. And it's, there's no clouds overhead, so it's just a, a pure sky just with more stars than he's ever seen because he's just in the middle of nowhere as opposed to the city where he grew up. Mm. And, this, uh, and there's fireflies floating all around him. And he looks down and he sees the reflection in the water of the sky above him. And for a moment, he is just completely lost in this, this sort of mystical experience where, where he feels like he's standing in the middle of the universe and the, these fireflies are, are an extension of the stars that are above him and then reflected down below him again. Mm. And so there's a, there's a small moment in, in the piece that's a reflection of that. There's another moment in the piece that's a reflection of uh, my own experience being out at uh, Burning Man and standing in the middle of a, a sandstorm and you look all around you and, and it's just... Uh, just kind of whiteness of the sand and you see this completely flat cracked earth below you that just extends out into the, into this sand and seems to kind of disappear into into this infinite and you look above and there's this small little circle of, of blue sky above you and, and it's just this amazing experience where you feel again just like you're standing in the middle of infinite and then someone would appear on a bicycle with a parasol for a moment and then disappear back into into their own infinites. Yeah. But that, that was a great experience, so it's something that worked its way in. So it's, the whole piece is really a collage of these different moments, these very small little moments, whether they're mine or, or, or moments that I've heard of, of from other people, or moments that I would desire to experience but could never possibly experience on my own, like flying through an asteroid field or, or walking around on a tiny planet. Wow. Do you feel like... Um... Do you feel like you have this infinite um, well of creative ideas that you could just pick out of because of your background and, and, and the things you've experienced in, in the past? Like, like I figured, um, I, I wonder if you could, if you personally could go walk into a museum and look for inspiration and have your next VR project lined up because you, of, your, what you, of, of your background. What do you think? I, mean, I think anybody, that once they... If they start playing with VR and, and have the ability to 
create these worlds, we'll find that there's there's no limit to the imagination at that point. Like everything we can think, we can actually make happen now, which was not the case five years ago. So uh, yeah, it, it's just incredibly exciting. So we're working on a bunch of other projects here as well mm-hmm. in VR. Some of them are more tangible, like practical things, helping people uh, with their phobias. Uh, others are are dealing with kind of new capture technologies. Um, kind of addressing some of what you were saying a little bit earlier about uh, 360 video mm-hmm. as well. So we, we constantly have things that are, are we're working on. Right now we've, we've switched away from Shadows of Isolation for a little bit and kind of fallen in love with another little project we're working on. But um, I'm, I'm excited about jumping back to Shadows of Isolation soon too. Is it possible to get a quick preview of what this little project might be? Um... It would be a very hard project to try to explain, especially the state it's in now. <laughs> okay. But uh, I can say that the technologies that we're developing around it, uh, uh, just kind of go off further what you were saying earlier about 360 mm-hmm. uh, video. Uh, three, I think there's a lot of exciting stuff happening with 360 video right now, mm-hmm. and it's it's the most accessible version of VR, especially for VR creation. So it makes a lot of sense. You're seeing a ton of brands as uh, uh, jump onto that as a, as a marketing uh, platform. Um, and you're seeing a, an easy transition for, for filmmakers, uh, directors, and cinematographers. Although, uh, in some ways, it, it also, I mean, it changes the art form completely because now the cinematographer is not really in control as much anymore. So in some ways, it takes takes away part of the art, and in other ways, it adds, adds more art to it. But in general, I feel like 360 video is taking an old medium and, f- and forcing it into this new technology. And it's not what this technology is designed for. Uh, and you could call me the, the VR purist, kind of like you were mentioning earlier. Mm. But uh, I, I do feel like uh, VR isn't meant for me to be standing in one position and able to turn my head. Mm-hmm. It's, it's meant for me to be able to explore and, and to be a real virtual reality, then I should be able to navigate and, and explore that reality as, as I would in real life. Yeah, and so, so we're working on ways that we could capture um, environments and, and capture motion, and then have that experienced in in the full three um, D navigable virtual reality. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, the problem with three sixty video right now is, you know, when people say, "Oh, I'd love to be a fly in the wall at you know, so and so's house, whatever." Um, 360 video is pretty much that like you can you're pretty much a fly on wherever you are um and like in the real world flies have no influence like you you can't really interact with with if if you're a fly you can't really interact with anything um unless anything human at least um and so yeah i don't know there's there's this disconnect way in in 360 video right now where i don't feel like um, really a participant in the story. I'm more of a, you know, a weird voyeur or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, but you going back to getting a little bit more about your experiences demoing to people, what have been the reactions, um, across the board? Do you, are you getting a, is there like a, a reaction that is, across the board, you know, the most common when you go out to demo, and, and what is it? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think so far our reactions have been amazing. When, um, when we went to Mexico to show the piece, we were in Guadalajara, um, and we, we installed at this, this arts festival and we were there for seven days. We had a three hour line to experience the project for, for all seven days for 10 hours a day. And people would wait in line for three hours, experience it. And this was when the, the piece was actually much shorter. So it was maybe, um, one third of the length that it is now yeah. people would experience that and then come out so thankful for the experience and then go back and get in line and wait another three hours to, wow. to do it again, to jump in for like three minutes. Um, and so that was, that was humble because I mean, I do think there's enough, uh, the technology is new. I could have probably just put a smiley face inside of VR and people would have been fairly happy and we might've had a one hour line, but, uh, people wouldn't have come out and been willing to wait again and people wouldn't have come out and not cussed us out for, for waiting in line for, for whatever that was. So it was exciting to see that people waited in line and then we're still happy. And then other people in line would, would ask them, what was that experience like? What was it? And they said, no, I can't tell you. You have to go see it on your own. Wow. So that was really good to see that, that uh, everyone kind of understood that it's uh, a lot of the magic is, is really not knowing what you're getting into with this piece. Yeah. Uh, and then the other part, um, the, the very first section uh, of the piece is uh, we restrict your vision, and we're doing that very purposely because anytime you're you're going from the physical world into the virtual world, the virtual world cannot compete with with our visual uh, our physical senses. Our our vision is is wider, it's brighter, it's higher resolution, um, and so what what we wanted to do was was kind of lower people's expectations even further so we we restrict your view and um and we give you enough time to get used to that view so that then you you just kind of take that for granted and then we release that restriction uh and we do that at the moment when you're walking through through this door and so that was that's probably one of my favorite moments mm -hmm. is that uh, watching people's face at that moment everyone just this big like look of this big smile and look of amazement comes across their face so the very first time we showed it, um, the uh, DK2, we just ported out, ported over DK2 like within a week of, of receiving it, and uh, you couldn't do the mirrored screen, so we had no idea where anyone was at. <laughs> but you could always tell exactly when they were at that moment because this big smile would come over their face. <laughs> so that, that was incredibly gratifying. That sounds amazing. Um, all right, starting to bring things down to a close. Um, uh, last question. In your in your opinion, from your perspective, what do you think is the Achilles' heel of virtual reality? What is the thing that needs to be improved on the most um, for virtual reality to become the mass consumer thing that we all dream it could be? Uh, inputs, input, okay. uh, and, and interfacing, and so it's, it's actually something I'm I'm writing a, a, a long blog series about. It's probably going to be like a six part series because there's a lot to cover there, mm. um, and so. Right now, the, the basic inputs are, are general gaming inputs, so mouse, keyboard, gamepad. Um, those have their obvious restrictions. The main being that you're, you're translating your physical movement uh, into, or your virtual movement into your, your fingers and, and, and thumbs. And that's just not how we think. And so for a hardcore gamer, it's, it's okay because they've already become somewhat immune to that. But then, uh, you know, the subtleties of the movement are, are, are not as uh, 
it's not as controllable. So like with our control scheme that we've seen, we've, we've created, we've broken that down a bit and, and being able to lean just feels very natural. And so you lean a little bit, you move a little bit, you lean a lot, you start to move a lot faster. And so that, that empowers everybody to, to be in this environment. And as soon as you get that, you're doing it naturally. It doesn't, you're not like consciously translating into some foreign, uh, foreign movement. It's, it's a very natural feeling movement. And so that greatly increases the presence um, the, then the next challenge though comes in and you've got like the, uh, um, the um, omnidirectional treadmills and such and so those are great ideas but there's huge challenges with that which is that if you run into a tree what happens do do you keep moving but your physical your virtual body doesn't because that's going to instantly break presence or do you run through this tree and if so now, as, as kind of experienced designers or, or game developers, we have no ability to restrict you within these virtual environments. So that's that's not a good thing either. And so that was another kind of benefit of, of what we've designed with our uh, control scheme is that when you're leaning forward and you hit that tree and you stop, mm-hmm. you're you're still seated. So it, it doesn't kind of break that moment of presence. It's kind of believable for you and your body that you would stop at that moment. But um, taking that further, and then we start adding uh, hand input, uh, which is something you're seeing Oculus definitely doing. Um, I forgot the company they just purchased, uh, Nimble VR, mm-hmm. in order to add hand tracking. Uh, we're exploring it with Leap Motion. You're seeing Vive do it with their controller, kind of hybrid hand tracking controller scheme. I mean, you've got these same issues. Like now with, with controllers, what happens when you when you touch something and your hand goes through it, but your virtual hand doesn't? And then the, the other challenge there is now you've got everything in the world needs to be able to be interacted with. Because if I have hands and I reach out to try to grab something and I can't grab it in the virtual world, it doesn't make sense. So now as, as designers and, and uh, developers, everything just got harder because now every single object needs to be able to be interacted with and needs to have a a real presence and can interact with the other objects around it. So those are some huge challenges that I think we're going to be struggling with for a while. Yeah, we definitely will be, Um, but they're, but they're going to be worth it because once we nail it, it's going to be awesome. Um, Mr. Jake Lee, hi, you have been a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. Um, how can people stay in touch? How can people follow what you're doing and all that good stuff? Uh, definitely check us out at futurecolossal.com. Um, you'll see a, a lot of our virtual and non-virtual which installation works. Sweet. And then um, then we're at Future Colossal for all social media. Very cool. Once again, thank you again for your time. You've been you've been really great. I I, I learned a lot, and thank you. And sorry for the hypnotism thing. I, I feel like I, I took it a little too uh, too much off a tangent. Um, uh, everyone loves to jump into that, and I enjoy talking about it. So there's no problem. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye.